This is Fishbowl Effect Podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Justin Goen. Welcome back to Fishbowl Effect Podcast. This is your host, uh, Pastor Justin Goins. Um, just quickly on the mission of Fishbowl Effect Podcast, based off of one of my life verses, 1 Timothy 4, 12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of word, of conversation, of love, of charity, it says, of in spirit, um, in purity. Paul was telling young Timothy as he was pastoring a quite diverse, cultured, big church with all different ages of Christians in them, uh, in a arguably a metropolitan area of, of Ephesus of how to stand up, stand out as a Christian, as a Christian leader, because he was a fish in a fishbowl. They were watching him. And in essence, we all should be living like that in the world that we live in. You're a fish in a fishbowl as a Christian. And those are great key areas to focus on, to live out. If you can go back to kind of the, the introduction, the Fishbowl Effect podcast, if you go back in the series of all the podcasts, check it out. You can listen to each one of those as I, as I had uh, broke them down and took a week or took a podcast to do each one of those. This week, we're picking up where we left off in Psalm 118, dealing with um, a Thanksgiving psalm. This psalm is the last in the line of the Hallel psalm, starting at 113 to 118. Uh, we don't know the exact author of it, although Ezra chapter 3, verse 10, as they are um, kind of... Uh, singing and praising in the foundation of the second temple, they attribute it to David. And so there's a great possibility to believe that David wrote this psalm. I believe David wrote this psalm, um, but we do not have, like many other psalms, an autograph at the beginning um, or that to which we know who wrote it or why it was written. With that said, this psalm is a psalm that is primarily a theme about Thanksgiving. So I've picked it. Uh, number one, I've been just reading my way through the Psalms, and about a week ago, I, I ended up in Psalm, Psalm 118. I've passed that now in my own personal reading, but I want to go back and share with you some of the thoughts and some of the things in which um, I learned, some snippets. So we've walked over kind of the background. We walked over the center of the Bible being in verse 8, and then the center word of the Bible being the Lord in verse 8. This week, we're going to look at uh, there are at no less than five shifts or five different areas of thanksgiving within this thanksgiving psalm. Um, they all are kind of a call, a call of thanksgiving. And so we don't have time to look at them all today, but we'll look at two of them today. And Lord willing, over the next two or three days before Thanksgiving, we'll deal with the last three. The first one is look is is a call to worship, and it's really just verses one through four. It says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, because his mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. I mean, I when the Bible in that many verses, short period of verses, uses a phrase over and over and over again, it's not just saying, oh, we want to, you know, I don't know what else to write. So I'm just going to write the mercy of the Lord endureth forever. It is, it is a, it's a repetitive to make us to stop, to focus, to really hone in that the, the, the author wants us to understand thanksgiving first and foremost about the mercy of 
our great God and not just his mercy, but to give thanks because of his mercy. What is mercy? Do you know what mercy is? What is mercy? You ever heard that phrase? Have mercy on me, right? Somebody pleading for their life. Please have mercy. Well, mercy, most often or not, is somebody pleading to not give someone or something, some, something that they deserve. So sometimes people go into court of law and ask for the mercy of the judge, meaning the judge has all legality to give this such and such sentence. But maybe the defense attorney or maybe even the, the, um, the person on the stand may ask for mercy. I know I may deserve this, but please be merciful and give me what I don't deserve or don't give me what I deserve. That's mercy. The merciful king is our God, the eternal merciful creator, our heavenly father. He's merciful all over the scriptures, all over the Psalms. I mean, this word of, of, of mercy and truth and is, is painted all over scripture. How God is merciful. And aren't, aren't you glad that God doesn't handle you nor I the way that we sometimes handle each other? I mean, think about it. I mean, let's get off of our holy, holy hills for just a second and think about in our hearts and our minds when somebody does us wrong, even this morning, Saturday morning, I will get up here and in a moment, go get a shower to go to work as my manager job here in this current season of my life. And I have to drive. There's a good chance that somebody will be impatient this morning or in a rush and they'll try to cut me off. Sometimes some people in those instances may may want to get back at somebody, not be merciful. Or you see them, how about this? They're driving down the road and or you're driving down the road and this person's speeding and all of a sudden you you see a cop pull them over. Ha, 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 they, they, they got what they deserved or whatever the case may be. Now there is do, do justice upon things, but that doesn't mean that justice allows us to sniff away our, our mercy that God has called us to live in and to live out. Praise God that he does not do such. Praise God that he did not give me what I rightfully deserved. And number one, I wouldn't even be here. Think about that. Think about that for a second. If God gave you, if God gave me what I rightfully deserve, would we even be here today? Would you, would you even, would I even be born? Hmm. Praise God for his mercy. But notice the three audiences of the shift. He says, number one, to Israel. Number two, the house of Aaron. And then number three, to all those that fear him. It's kind of like he's, he's encumbering all of God's children. Number one, the chosen, Israel, his chosen race, the race that he chose to bring his son through. If you follow the lineage of Abraham, you'll follow it all the way down, through King David, all the way down through Mary and Joseph, where he is his son, eternal second person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, was born through the Spirit of God, through that virgin, Mary, Israel. And then he even stakes a little bit deep, a deep, deeper dive into that to a certain sect, the house of Aaron. Who, who was that? Who were they? The priests. The priests. So he's not only just saying, okay, Israel, but not only Israel, hey, hey, the ones who, I mean, they did majority of the sacrifices, if not all the sacrifices. They also did the worshiping. There was a, a, a sect of them that was in charge of worship. 
You see the Psalms of Asaph. So they, he, was of the, he was of the house of, of Aaron, but he was more focused on the worship side of the priest's jobs. So all the priests, all the house of Aaron. And then he gets into now them that fear the Lord. Now remember, this was not written yesterday. It wasn't written in 2010. It was written thousands of years ago. However, it's speaking about those who may not be of the chosen nationality of Israel and may not be the ones in that nation to perform on behalf of the people sacrifices, but also worship to lead the to lead the people into worship. If you starting, if you go back and read uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, you'll find laws in there that other people who were born outside of the nation of Israel of Israel, sorry. Were, were able to be part of Israel with the sign of circumcision. So there were plenty of people that were not of the house of Aaron, who were definitely not of Israel, but yet were part of God's people, non, non-Jews, if you may. And this is a call for them to worship. Praise God. You and I, how do we apply this to us? Post, post Old Testament, even New Testament. We're called many times to give thanks. Paul's, the Pauline epistles is, Calls us to worship, calls us to calls us to worship our God and sing praises and sing hymns and spiritual hymns. And we're to lift up our voices and cry unto God. The first section of this Thanksgiving is number one, being thankful for the mercy of God and just praising him because of it. The last one we'll look at today is verses five through nine, which is a call of personal testimony. I called upon the Lord in my distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore, shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. This next shift, this next call, this next section, if you may, or split of Thanksgiving. The first, like I mentioned, was a corporate call to worship. I missed what I was one part of that in Hebrews, it tells us that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves one one with another, meaning we are to come together and worship, worship not only solo. Worship was never meant to be solo. Worship in times is solo, but worship is always meant to be corporate. You get that picture in heaven as John wrote in the island of Patmos of all nations, all tongues, all tribes, lifting and singing a new song unto God. It's not eternity is not even solo. <laughs> eternity will be with corporate worship. Then we shift into, it's a call of personal testimony. The author here, most likely David, is is calling out and remembering a time in a distressful time, how he called, how he cried out to God. And he's giving a personal testimony how God walked with him. And he put his trust in God, not in man, put his trust in God, not in princes. How God relieved him, how God saved him. I have a question. Do, Do you have times in your life where you have experienced God, God's hand of maybe mercy or grace or, or health or, or times when you walked in faith to go witness, times that you have moved with listening to the word of God, reading the word of God, being so convicted internally and saying, okay, now I, this feels awkward, but I'm going to go do it because God's word says to go do it. Maybe most of those times in my life, I can tell you, have been in witnessing moments when I have lifted up my voice outside of my home to people 
with mission of a day to go out and share the gospel with a minimal with, of one person? God's word tells me to. God's word tells you to. And then I have experiences in my life, many, many experiences of my life, in my life, of me sharing the gospel with individuals and God saving them. Those are moments as I go forward that each time I go to witness, it's still joy. But there is that kind of, I guess, nervousness, not not in a sinful anxiety, but kind of this ampedness in my internal because I don't know what the situation is going to unfold the unknown of it, but knowing that God's called me to do things, to call me to witness, and so I go and do it. And then the stories that I have post-witnessing, it drives me into my next witness. It drives me into things, and things financially or, or moves that my family has made as God called us to different places for pastoring and not, not, not knowing everything, but trusting that this is what God has called me called my family to, and we did it. And just the immense amount of experiences that we have with our King. How, how do you, how many do you have? What do you have? Can you think of one right now? Can you only think of one? I'm glad you have one and not none, but c- could you have more? I'm, I'm pretty sure you could. God wants this life as a relationship with you, and he wants to walk with you and, and guide you. And The way we do that, friend, it's simple. It's simple. You get in his word. You read his word. You pray over his word. Ask for strength of this Holy Spirit of God to do it, and then just go do it. And trust that his spirit will give you the strength to do it. Whether it be witnessing, whether that be serving in a certain area that God's gifted you at, in at your church, whether that be some move, financial move, job move, literal move, maybe the girl that you're looking for, the man that you're looking for, college. It's take what God's word has said, trust it, obey it, live it out. You will experience the hand of God. First call, a call of corporate worship, verses one through four. Second call of Thanksgiving is a call to personal testimony. I pray that you spend time this coming Sunday worshiping corporate worshiping and thankful for the mercy of God. And then I pray you'll have a personal, I have prayed that between now and Sunday, you have a personal testimony, not, not, not talking about the testimony of, of your salvation, although I hope you do. And if you don't, there's links on here to get a hold of me via my phone number, via email. The gospel is free for you. It costs God his son. For all have sinned and come short to the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one, the Bible says. Listener, if you do not have a personal relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, you can today. The Bible tells us that we must believe in our heart who Jesus is, that God sent him to live for you, to die for you, to resurrect for you, that he is God, and that he did that all for you. He did it because you are sin. And he died for your sin. He paid the debt for the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Would you pray this morning and receive Christ? How do I do that? Tell him you're a sinner. Tell him you believe. Tell God you believe his son died for you, rose for you, lived for you. You believe that in your heart and that you want to apply what Jesus did to your life. 
You pray and believe it. The word says that we don't only have to believe it in our heart, but we must confess it. Homo They say the same thing as you must say it to God. It's not a thought you can have. It's not just internal mindset. It is an actual confession to God. The Bible does have a black and white outline of how one becomes saved. It's not, well, anybody can kind of have it their own way. No, 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 no. There's different times in people's lives. There's different ways that God gets a hold of them. But there is one way, one way to God, that's Jesus Christ, and one way to receive Christ. The Bible is clear. Check out Romans chapter 9, starting in verse 7, and walk your way through verse 14. But really focus on verses 9 and 10. My name is Pastor Justin. This is Fishbowl Effect Podcast. God bless.